Long History Random UK Prime Minister of the Week The 35th Prime Minister Herbert Asquith The Prime Minister at the beginning of World War I He was in office from the 5th of April 1908 to the 5th of December 1916 Hello everyone and welcome to Long History This is our series called Random UK Prime Minister of the Week and we do literally take a Prime Minister at random and then we ask a few questions such as what was he like? What was the UK like at the time they were in power? We look at who in this stage of the UK's history could vote and here we ask four further questions about Asquith himself looking into his background, at how he became Prime Minister, at his achievements as Prime Minister and then why he left the office. And then just to round off, we'll look at why we should remember Herbert Asquith. So before we begin, just a quick reminder that there's lots to explore on Long History. We've serialised many source documents from the Age of Exploration about Columbus, Magellan, Francis Drake and many more. We've also covered a few Prime Ministers now, and I'm sure they'll all be available on whatever podcast platform you use. But we do also have a website now, longhistory.net, that's longhistory, one word, .net. And every one of over 250 episodes by Long History are there. So here we go with Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, the 35th Prime Minister Herbert Asquith. He was the Prime Minister at the beginning of World War I, between the 5th of April 1908 and the 5th of December 1916. It was difficult to give a title to this episode about Herbert Asquith, because for example we've already looked at Neville Chamberlain who was the Prime Minister at the beginning of World War II, and I think that Neville Chamberlain is specifically associated with the beginning of World War II. However, I don't think the same could be said about Herbert Asquith. By the time World War I broke out in 1914, he'd already been in office for six years. So really there were two distinct periods to Herbert Asquith's premiership, before and during World War I. Herbert Asquith has been described as an Edwardian gentleman, Ah, but the Edwardian era literally ended two years into his premiership in 1910 with the death of Edward VII, although it has to be said the Edwardian period is sometimes extended to 1914, if only because a whole other era, World War I, erupted in that year to sweep away the old world altogether. And that coming of the new age with World War I led to sort of a haze of nostalgia for the better times during the Edwardian era, And it's a kind of nostalgia for an old England that still arguably exists even to this day, certainly of a certain view of England. And if Asquith had proved an ideal gentleman Prime Minister for that Edwardian era, his lugubrious style of leadership would prove inappropriate and unpopular during times of war. Now that's not to say he wasn't engaged with the war. Asquith's own son actually died during the conflict that would end his premiership in 1916. With eight years in office, Asquith was nevertheless one of the longest-serving Prime Ministers of the 20th century, behind Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair, but ahead, for example, of the most famous Prime Minister of the 20th century of all, Winston Churchill. One interesting and strange fact about Asquith is that when he took up the job as Prime Minister, he had to travel to Biarritz in France to be given the role by the King, and in this way he's the only Prime Minister to have begun his tenure abroad. Some of Asquith's achievements involved the introduction of state pensions and unemployment and health insurance. He strengthened the role of the unions and also reduced the parliamentary term from seven 
to the current five years. However, one of Asquith's unfortunate legacies resulted from an inability to know when to leave the table, which led to a calamity for the Liberal Party he headed, the Liberal Party being one of many casualties of the First World War, as will be discussed in this episode. So the first question, what was Herbert Asquith like? Well, he seems to have been a bit of a contradictory character. As we've said, in many ways he was a typical Edwardian gentleman, sensible, practical, level-headed, and in prime ministerial terms, someone who liked to listen to all sides of an argument and come up with his own conclusion. He also apparently had a certain doggedness that was perfect for the leadership role, dealing smoothly with the many conflicting egos in government. But there's the other side to ask with, because amidst that sensibleness, there lurked a passionate man who, during his time in office, fell in love with a 25-year-old woman less than half his age. He would go on to send her hundreds of letters during the three years that they became close, until she married someone else and the, as far as I could find, unrequited affair ended. Asquith would apparently write letters to this woman during government meetings, even during wartime. As well as this, he had five children with his first wife and five children with his second wife, although only two of the children with his second wife survived infancy. It's a curious detail that despite his clear liking for women, one blot on his mark book was that he was not in favour of votes for women. He was, according to one account, unable to see the value of equality per se, and could not see how giving votes to women would improve government. Another source gives a more straightforward reason why he would not support votes for women. He felt that they would be more likely to vote for the rival Conservative Party. So that's the introduction to Herbert Asquith, but what was the UK like at the time? Well, Asquith took up the office as Prime Minister in 1908, which was the first time London would hold the Olympics, and they were due to start at the end of the same month as he took up his premiership, April. This was, perhaps, the peak of a certain type of England, not so much Scotland, Wales and Ireland, I would say. This is a type of English stereotype crystallised at this time, of the British Empire at its peak, of gentlemen in country houses with their servants who knew their place and did not question it. I guess it's not surprising that English people in particular would come to look on the Edwardian era with a certain type of nostalgia. The First World War in particular started off that nostalgic longing for a relatively peaceful time. Asquith's party, the Liberal Party, had some of its greatest victories around this time, but as we've stated, it would also be the beginning of the end for the Liberal Party as a serious contender in politics for many years. The Socialist Labour Party was on the rise, and there was a new focus on the working class, who were actually questioning their place. Women would not get the vote until 1924, but they were becoming more educated and had more opportunities for work, even though they were unlikely ever to be in charge at that point. Although these were relatively prosperous years until the First World War, the UK was steadily being overtaken by rivals such as Germany and the United States, the latter country's youthful energy making the UK look like an ageing old boys' club. Asquith's longevity in office is reflected by the fact that his premiership straddled three US presidencies. Theodore Roosevelt was president of the US for Asquith's first term as Prime Minister, he was followed by William Howard Taft from 1909 
for only one four-year term, followed after that by Woodrow Wilson. New Mexico became the 47th state to enter the Union right at the end of Asquith's term in 1912. Who could vote in the UK at that time? Asquith actually did not face an election until 1910, two years after he replaced his predecessor, Henry Campbell Bannerman, who had resigned due to ill health and soon died. Apparently 60% of men who were over 21 and householders could vote at this stage in the country's history, which added up to 7.7 million people of a population of around 40 million. 2.15 million people voted for Asquith's Liberal Party, adding up to around 5% of the population choosing him as their leader. So that's just a bit of an introduction to the historical background at the time. Now we'll look at Asquith specifically. He was apparently the third of four Prime Ministers to hail from Yorkshire in the north of England, being the only one of the four to come from Morley, which is five miles or eight kilometres to the southwest of the centre of Leeds. He was born in 1852 into an old Yorkshire family associated with Yorkshire's wool trade. When his father died all of a sudden in 1860, his maternal grandfather took charge of Herbert and his brother, sending them to a boarding school in Leeds. When his grandfather died three years after his father, his uncle on his mother's side then took charge of the boys, moving them to London, where it appears that they were passed from pillar to post and effectively treated like orphans. From this point, Asquith had a sense more of being from London than Yorkshire, although his family's non-conformist, anti-establishment and not least Yorkshire background was said to have influenced him throughout his life. Although, having said that, he was happy to ignore those non-conformists' preference for temperance, Asquith enjoyed a drink. Asquith was one of the 30 Prime Ministers to go to Oxford University, where he studied the classics. He graduated in 1874 and then trained as a barrister, but he lacked the contacts and was too straightforward, apparently, to attain the fluency required in legal terminology. He hadn't yet found his vocation. He married his first wife in 1877 and they had five children. In 1886, 22 years before he would become Prime Minister, he was first elected as a Member of Parliament for East Fife, although his legal career also began to progress, but then his wife died of typhoid in 1891. He married his second wife in 1894. So those are Asquith's details before he became Prime Minister, but how did he become Prime Minister? Well, the Liberal Party had been out of power since the late 1800s, Asquith was an MP, but his political career would not take off until 1905, when Henry Campbell Bannerman, as leader of the Liberal Party, was elected as Prime Minister. He was elected with a landslide. Asquith was put in charge of the purse strings when he was named Chancellor of the Exchequer, and his direct way of speaking, which had initially worked against him during his legal career, made him apparently much more suited to politics. When Campbell Bannerman resigned from office due to ill health, Asquith was seen from the start as the only suitable person for the job. With King Edward on holiday in Biarritz, Asquith had to make the trip to the French resort in order to be granted his new role by the king. So Asquith is now Prime Minister, but what were his biggest achievements in the role? Well, as we've stated, there were two distinct phases to his premiership, before and after the eruption of World War I. 
He battled to reduce the veto power of one of the UK's two Houses of Parliament, the House of Lords, which ultimately gave the other House, the House of Commons, more power. The electorate voted for the members of the House of Commons, so this change would not just enable the Liberal Party to pass greater reforms, it also gave future governments more opportunities to respond to the needs of the electorate. It was a fundamental change. Asquith also introduced health insurance and unemployment insurance, introduced job centres, then called labour exchanges, and one significant change was the granting of a salary to MPs, so that standing for Parliament would not only be possible for the richest of the rich. So Asquith was in power for six years before the beginning of World War I, so what led to the end of the premiership of this popular Prime Minister? Well, the Home Rule issue, the debate on whether to give the Irish their own Parliament or not, was a growing issue during those years, as was the women's vote issue. Neither were resolved during Gasquith's time in office, but the Irish issue in particular would come to a head at the end of his premiership. Asquith, however, was distracted by the First World War, when it began in 1914. The reason for his premiership coming to its end is one of those much-debated moments of history. Asquith had taken easily to the role of Prime Minister, as shown by his longevity in the office. He was an efficient worker, but when work was dispatched, he was unafraid to enjoy his free time. Early failure in the Dardanelles campaign in World War I led to many tens of thousands of casualties. A tide of events threatened to engulf the government. In response, Asquith formed a coalition government, incorporating members of the Conservative Party. It was a move that marked the beginning of the end of the Liberal Party as a substantial political force for many years. In July 1915, the first steps towards conscription began with the passing of the National Registration Act. However, Asquith's slow rolling out of conscription, when clear decisive action was needed, worked against him. Conscription didn't begin until January 1916. In July the same year, the Battle of the Somme began, with huge casualties and little progress to show for it. In September, Asquith's eldest son died. Asquith's reputation was not helped when his leadership style came under increasing scrutiny. His efficient work ethic and consensus-seeking form of government was no longer enough, especially when he was criticised for attending weekend parties, and was even found during a meeting writing those letters to a young woman he had fallen in love with. It was time for a more active Prime Minister, one who not only led but could be seen to be leading. By December, the coalition collapsed when Conservative members of Parliament would no longer back Asquith's coalition government. Asquith and most of the Liberal Party entered opposition. David Lloyd George replaced him as Prime Minister, appearing to have the dynamism that Asquith lacked. So, despite being a member of the Liberal Party himself, Lloyd George went on to gain the backing of the Conservatives who had fled the coalition under Asquith, another coalition government would see out the war. Now there is a postscript to Asquith's leadership as a Prime Minister because even as the war ended, only arguably held by a change in Prime Minister, Asquith remained the leader of an increasingly exhausted Liberal Party. Now he had a reputation as a weak war leader. Asquith stayed at the helm of the party until 1924. 
effectively removing any opportunity for the party to rejuvenate itself. By the 1923 election, the Labour Party had overtaken the Liberal Party as the main opposition party. Asquith would die in 1928. Why should we remember Herbert Asquith? Well, it has been said that Asquith was a great peacetime Prime Minister who failed to live up to the challenge posed by the First World War. He spent eight years in the role of Prime Minister and was said to be ideally suited to the role. His reform of the House of Lords, diligently done against much opposition from the old guard, opened the door to further decades of reform. He introduced labour exchanges, pensions, health and unemployment insurance, and in this way made lives better for working people. During wartime, he forged the coalition government that prosecuted much of the early part of the war, and he made many of the key decisions during those early years of conflict, not least in choosing to enter the conflict itself. He made sure industry was prepared for the task and put together a system of conscription. Ultimately, this Edwardian gentleman was replaced by a leader who appeared to be more dynamic for fast-moving times. By lingering around as the leader of the Liberal Party, however, he effectively stopped any opportunity for the party to refresh itself after its reputation had been trounced during the war. As such, he had a distinct effect on the future of the country in another way. He unwittingly paved the way for an alternative opposition party, the Labour Party. Thank you for listening to this latest episode by Long History. Please remember that this is just an introduction to Herbert Asquith, and I'm well aware that there are many opportunities for disagreements here, but this is just a starting point for you to develop your own research and form your own opinions. If you've liked this episode, please do like it if you can, it will be much appreciated, and please do share it with anyone who might be interested. Above all, thank you for listening to Long History. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week the 35th Prime Minister, Herbert Asquith, the Prime Minister at the beginning of World War I. Goodbye.